Recovery Elevator, episode 417. You know, there were a lot of dark times, but what's most important is that it's it's about the experience, but what's most important is about the hope and the recovery and that it's possible. And that's that's the story I hope to share with everyone today. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's podcast, we have Jenny. She's 36 years old from Hudson, Wisconsin, and took her last drink on February 16th, 2020. Great job, Jenny. I want to give a shout out to our Cafe RE chat hosts. You all do an amazing job. Thank you. Speaking of Cafe RE, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Okay, let's get started. Listeners, today I'm going to cover the best and worst place to be with a drinking problem. In jest, I could say the best place with a drinking problem is to not have a drinking problem in the first place. In fact, that's tempting to explore, and sometimes I do in my mind. But the other night before going to bed, while my finger was on the light switch in my office, I paused for a moment while looking at my office setup before turning off the light. I thought how proud my 12-year-old self would be. I looked at my office and I saw a microphone. There are two ukuleles hanging on the wall. I teach sober ukulele lessons. I saw a full-size piano, a kick-ass Moog synthesizer, and a Lionel train set running all the way around my office. We're preparing for a sober travel trip to Costa Rica in April. In short, I wouldn't change a thing, and I'm incredibly grateful for the life that alcohol has given me. As I've said on this podcast many times before, an alcohol addiction or a drinking problem is an invitation for you to step into a more authentic, better way of living. All right, let's get back on track. 
For today's topic, the best and worst place for an alcoholic to be, I want to cover a paragraph that starts on the bottom of page 151 in the big book of AA, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to read the last part of the paragraph, which is on the top of page 152. It says, he cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with or without alcohol. He then will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. Okay, listeners, this is the absolute worst place someone can be with a drinking problem, and here's why. First off, the emotional pain of that loneliness is intense. It feels like you're dying, and part of you is. I remember in 2007, I was pumping euros into a payphone at 3 a.m. in Granada, Spain, having a panic attack, trying to phone family and a physician in the USA. It was a rough night. I knew I had to quit drinking, but I couldn't imagine a life without alcohol. Another reason why this is the worst place to be is that alcohol is no longer working for you. It's been ruined for you. It doesn't provide any more relief but it does provide a crushing hangover with a large side dish of shame. To summarize, alcohol has it right where it wants you, alone, demoralized, filled with despair and hopelessness. In your mind, there is no future. So I'll admit this last part was hard to write and speak because I was able to access some of those feelings. And again, this is a painful, shitty spot to be. Okay, so that's the worst and most painful place someone with a drinking problem can be. Now, this is usually when a suicide will take place. It sucks to say that, but we need to keep this podcast real. And if you are there, my heart is with you. It sucks. It really does. And there is a very good chance, in fact, I can almost guarantee you, that someone listening to this right now will find themselves in this very position. And here's what I have to say. Let's say there are about 20 to 30 million sober people in America. Every single one of them has been there, including myself. You can do this. If it feels like part of you is dying, it's because there is a psychological component of you that is dying. Let it die. That feeling is grief, intense grief. Okay, now let's chat the best place someone with a drinking problem can be. That would be 45 minutes south of Tamarindo in a place called Playa Negra, Costa Rica that has my favorite AA meetings Sunday at 10 a.m. Okay, I'm just kidding on that, although that place is incredible and they have a great AA meeting on Sundays. But here is the best place someone can be with a drinking problem. Again, this is not geographic. So I'm going to read a passage. Here we go. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday, he will be unable to imagine life either with or without alcohol. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. Many of you are saying, damn it, Paul, isn't that the same passage you just read for the worst place to be? And my answer to that is correct. Yes, it is. This is both the worst and the best place a person with a drinking problem can be. Here's why it's the best place an alcoholic can be. Listen closely. You are so close to the tipping point, or as AA calls it, the jumping off point. You're right there. You're near 
or at the moment of no return. You are about to embark upon the greatest journey in your life. You have reached a wall. Yes, you can backtrack or return to drinking, but we both know what those outcomes will be. So here's the best place you can be. You are about to throw your backpack over the wall, knowing this will force you to climb over, then to jump off into the unknown. You're recognizing you deserve better. You've gone through enough pain, enough failed internal promises. One side of the coin could say you're desperate. The other side is that you're ready to surrender. Now with surrender, you are entering the world of the infinite where anything is possible. Yes, this can be a scary place to be. It is a scary place to be, but you're not the first to make this jump. And when you jump into the unknown, you give others the courage to do the same. In summary, listeners, we are all right where we need to be. Life will keep giving us the same lesson until we are ready to learn or to make a change. I hope you all enjoyed today's intro. Thank you for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Jenny. In a perfect world, we all want to feel our best at all times. However, through life and recovery, I've had to learn to accept the wobbles that come with this journey. You've all heard me talk about my dip days. For me, managing these has come hand in hand with using tools that I have learned through therapy. I love knowing that I have agency and that even when I'm not feeling great, I can feel empowered to take positive action. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Jenny, how are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. All right. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Looking forward to getting to know you. Let's get right into this, Jenny. When was your last drink? My last drink was February 16th, 2020. Ah, All right. We are coming up on three years. How does it feel? It feels fantastic. I'm well over a thousand days hangover free and I'm loving every second of it. Gotcha. Now, before we hear about your background, your story with drinking, before we hit record, you said it's important to share your story, uh, to share your journey away from alcohol. What is, just expand on that real quick before we get into your your story with alcohol. Sure, of course. Like, I think what was really important to me to share my story was that you know, there were a lot of dark times, but what's most important is that it's it's about the experience, but what's most important is about the hope and the recovery and that it's possible. And that's that's the story I hope to share with everyone today. Yeah, I love that, Jenny. When I was in the depths, the throes of the addiction, I, I wasn't quite ready to digest the, the 12 steps, right? Or, or the literature of that, but the stories of the back of the big book, it's the stories of those who recovered or are in the process of recovering. That's what finally pushed me off the edge. That was my tipping point said, all right, they can do it. So can I. So I think all of us who are listening right now, it's so important for us to share our story. Maybe say your own story out loud to yourself by looking at yourself in the mirror. But please, I encourage you, regardless of how much sobriety time you have or how much time you think you need to have before you can share your story, 
please share your story with somebody because you never know who needs to hear it and who that's going to help. All right, Jenny, let's get into this. Before we hear your story with alcohol, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, so I'm 36 years old, and I was born and raised in a, a small town called Hudson, Wisconsin, which is about 15 miles or so east of St. Paul, Minnesota. And so I kind of feel like I'm from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, but we are Wisco right on the corner, on the border. And for a career, I've been in education for, for 15 years. So I've done everything from elementary teaching. I've worked in higher ed and career and technical ed. And then recently, I took a new job as project manager for an organization in St. Paul. I'm married to my best friend who, interestingly, was my neighbor growing up. So I'm truly the girl next door, or maybe for the millennials out there, I'm I'm Jenny from the block. I, I have a son who's five and he's in kindergarten. And for fun, um, because I know you and I have this Montana connection, but I, I love backpacking. I love everything about camping and I love going to concerts and gardening, yoga, basically anything that has to do with being outside is, is my place. And, and I guess, and since getting sober, I found out that I actually like to read, which I did not know that that was a hobby of mine. So it is a hobby today. What are you reading right now? Um, I just finished this book and I'm so embarrassed for know what it's called. I'm so bad, but it's, I'm all about like fiction. I like go between fiction and true crime and I'm, my husband could do nonfiction all the time, but I'm, I'm just a sucker for like true crime. Like just bring me into it. I'll get lost. You know, it's my escape. Yeah. When you said uh, Jenny from the block, my shoulder did a little shimmy. I love that song. I think it was a J-Lo and Ja Rule, like 2004, five or three. Yes. Like that. And I'm wondering if it was J-Lo before she was J-Lo, but yes, it's, I vicariously lived through her for Ooh, sure. Early 2000s, such a great time for <laughs> hip hop. <laughs> love it. I got an article one time that said four of the five drunkest counties in America are in Wisconsin. <laughs> Do you see that in Wisconsin? Like a lot of people say, oh, you don't know what it's like here. We all drink. But Wisconsin, you guys can say that and it's backed up with data. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a part of our culture. I, I think it's like they wear that with a, a, a like a badge of honor and it's a part of my story. Like that is that was my life growing up. It's what we I don't know how to live without drinking every single thing that we do from baby showers to brunch, you know, to Packers games to everything. It's always drinking. And so that's yeah, Wisconsin for you. And I think it's an unfortunate thing. Um, but maybe if you're not into the addictive personality like myself, maybe you don't think it's such a bad thing, but uh, it is real. It's a real thing. Yeah. I think you said, you know, how do you do it without alcohol? Well, you've done it for almost three years and excited to share that with listeners, how you did it. I know I'm curious. Let's unpack that a little bit. Let's talk about your journey away from alcohol. But first, usually that goes into uh, the depths of, of an addiction, right? And here we are today, luckily on the other side of that. But Jenny, you're 36 years old. Uh, you're almost three years away from a drink. Did you start this journey three years ago? Or when did you first recognize that alcohol wasn't serving you? I Well, I would say that I knew that I loved it right away. I didn't realize it was a problem until I was 30 or merely truly acknowledge it. But you know, I, I took my first drink when I was 11 and, and I knew instantly that drinking was for me. Like I loved it. And, and during my elementary years, I had experienced some childhood trauma, um, at a friend's house. And I, I just, I, I couldn't tell anyone. Uh, and so from five years old to 11 years old, I just felt extremely lonely out of place. 
already kind of feeling like the self-hatred, just self-destruction already hated that. And so, you know, my parents were super hard workers. They're, they're wonderful. They did the best they could, but I, I just knew from a young age that I, I wanted to be this bad girl. Like I liked the persona it kind of helped me put up this guard and protect myself. And so when I started experimenting with drinking when I was 11, I, I it led to everything. I smoked weed, smoking cigs. I just, I basically just said yes to everything. And I made the commitment that that's what I was going to do. I wasn't going to say no. Like I remember making that, saying that out loud, like I will say yes to everything. So by the time I was in high school, I had already blacked out like so many times and I also started developing a serious eating disorder. And by the time I was a freshman in college, I was severely struggling with disordered eating. I diet pills, I think I was averaging like 10 to 12 diet pills a day. It was just absolutely horrible. I I took laxatives every day for a year. It's just horrible. And then and then when I discovered cocaine and Adderall, my whole world opened up because I could keep losing weight and I could keep drinking more. And so when I was 20 years old, uh, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, who grew up next door to me, uh, we moved to Missoula, Montana. And we were just, you know, two broke kids in love and we were ready for adventure. And I thought I could escape my eating disorders and my drug problems and drinking for sure. But, you know, we've heard this all before that like wherever you go, there you are. And um, I just traveled right along with me. And so I went from like having problems with tons of friends and support to having problems with nobody that I knew. And so mm-hmm. my addictions got horribly worse. And, you know, it started as an attempt to be this, I guess, badass when I was 11 turned into a 22 year bender. And so for 22 years, I, I truly just tried everything I could. If you could like drink it, swallow it, smoke it, snort it, whatever it was, I I was always a yes. And so so every time my drug problem would get out of hand or a particular drug that I was experimenting with, then, then I would step back and I would, quote, quit, right? And then that's when my drinking would take over again. So my drinking was always like the socially acceptable way for me to keep my addictions alive. And, and so when I wasn't using drugs, like my drinking was every day, every day. The moment I got off of work until I went to bed, I was always the person at the parties who would drink way more than others and and but I could seemingly appear fully functional when in reality I was totally blacked out and to this day I actually have chunks of my life that I have no memories like my husband and I were talking about there are so many concerts that I have been to I don't remember any of them I'm like we should go to those concerts again now that you know I've never seen them before he's like yeah we were there so you know and I worked in bars a lot and in Montana which is fun you're in your 20s and so I would you know, I would purposely close with the bartenders so I could drink while I was closing up shop. And and so it was just a great time because I could drink while I was working. And when I was 30, I got pregnant with my husband. So we got married a couple of years before that. And, you know, we really didn't plan on having a kid um, and we weren't ready to become parents. Then I found out that my baby died. And that was the moment that my drinking went from like fun and partying to completely complete self-destruction. I had suicide ideation. I, I, I couldn't function mentally without my coping mechanisms. And I, I, I just couldn't let go. So 18 months later, my son was born who is today. He's five. And I hear this often, but like, even during pregnancy, I had, I had serious issues with not drinking. Like I didn't, I didn't drink every day. You know, I, I didn't, I would go a couple weeks or so, but 
but for real, this is a true story. Like my, my doctor told me I could have glass of wine. It was okay. And so to an alcoholic, that's like complete green light to go drink, which for someone who's normal, they're like, I'm good. But for me, I was like, Oh, ooh, this is good. So I remember when my son was born, like literally the moment we came home from the hospital, I cracked open an IPA and I just, I, I just couldn't stop. It was like, I just couldn't stop. And then when my son was seven weeks old, we decided to move back from Montana to our hometown to be close to family. We quit our jobs. We sold our house. We sold our truck. We we got rid of everything that we owned that we couldn't fit in a truck or trailer. And we left our life that I loved for the last 11 years. And it was devastating. And when we got back, we were six figures in debt. I was postpartum depression. I was drinking every day, like no job, no place to live. I mean, well, and if you recall, we lived next door to each other. Our parents did. So like we lived in, moved into my in-laws basement and my dog moved into my parents' house and I just back to Wisconsin. So I got to drink every single day. And that's when the drinking got really bad at like the culture. We've talked about that with, with Wisconsin. Like no one called me out. It was, that's just how it was. And so in January of 2020, this is one month before I quit drinking, in January of 2020, my therapist told me that she couldn't see me anymore. She was like, look, like you have to go to treatment. Like you have to get some help. You need the support. If you don't, I, I'm going to like end our, like whatever our relationship or whatever it is, I don't know, patient doctor relationship. And so she referred me to this program. And after my consultation, they were like, you know, we recommend you to, I can't remember if it was a six or eight week inpatient treatment program, but I was, I was mad. Like I, I couldn't do that. Like I had just started a job. We just were getting back on our feet, paying off debt. Like, I mean, I was still breastfeeding for crying out loud. Like I couldn't, I couldn't go. And so, so I refused to go. Like, I know that I should have gone, but I chose not to go because I was just being stubborn. And so my rock bottom was a couple weeks later um, on Super Bowl Sunday in 2020. And I went to this small gathering and, and I, I can't remember if I drank two or three bottles to myself, but you know, typical Sunday night, it was just this more, this invitation to drink more because it was Super Bowl Sunday, whatever. So, right. So I have no memory of the game. I have no memory of coming home, but I woke up at 3 a.m. on Monday to this crazy work day. I, I felt the panic attack coming on. I, I knew it was going to happen. Right. And anxiety, I know you've heard that before, but that anxiety you get, oh my gosh, I can still feel it. So then I remembered that I had to drive my in-laws to the airport that morning at 6.30 in the morning. And this is pre-pandemic traffic, right? So I'm driving to the airport. I drop them off. I'm clearly so wasted and I just feel like absolute garbage. And I drop them off and I just, I go into this full-blown panic attack in four lanes of traffic, right? I can't, I can't feel my legs. I can't breathe. I thought I was going to die. I had the worst shakes um, and had developed shakes um, that I attributed to caffeine, but Let's be real. It was the booze. And just honestly, Paul, everything was crumbling in my life. And so when I I drove home and I spent the next 48 hours in bed, figuring out how I was going to kill myself. And um, so. And that's two weeks before February 16th, right? Yep. Yep. And the last thing to kind of get to that last day is that. So when I was stuck in bed and I was, I was planning, I was figuring out how I was going to kill myself. Question with that. We've been there and the anxiety, I was viscerally feeling it with you, right? Alcohol does a great job to get that anxiety out. But the next day, oh shit, backfires big time. But within those, when you drove back home, went into bed, 
to think about how to kill yourself. Was there an oscillation internally of like, hey, I can quit drinking or kill myself? Or was there only one option? I'm going to kill myself. The option of quitting for me was so overwhelming. I could not even imagine a day without drinking at that point. Like okay. I couldn't even go I two full days. Like if I were to go two days without drinking, it's because I was so hungover. I couldn't drink for two days. Like that was the only reason why I couldn't go for it. I could go 48 hours without drinking. So it was so scary to me. I was so scared. I was living in so much fear and I hated myself and the shame cycle. And I like just, I hated everything about myself at that moment. And what's interesting and also very devastating is that I I have multiple people in my family who have committed suicide. So it is a hereditary thing. And when I was laying there, I knew, like I kept telling, that was one, that's what kept me alive truly, because I was like, I know that this is a cyclical hereditary thing that needs to be addressed. And I kept thinking to myself, I would, I couldn't do this to my dad. Like that was the number one that was stopping me. And so one of his brothers who had committed suicide, and this is the end of the story is that, so I was stuck in bed, couldn't get out thinking about it. And one of his siblings who had committed suicide before I was even born, I, 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 I like know him in my dreams. I feel Mm. like he's kind of this weird angel to me, this guardian angel. And I was sitting there and I was napping midday and I opened my eyes and he was standing in front of me. Wow. And he said, he's like, he looked at me and I knew it was him. And he said, everything's going to be okay. And it's time to get up. And I got up and I quit drinking on February 16th later to find out that apparently that's his birthday, which it's either the 16th or the 17th. So whatever day it is, I quit drinking right on his birthday question did he show up in a dream or you said you were like half asleep maybe half asleep but i'm telling you he was right there in front of me like the sun shining he was like he was there and it was this crazy out-of-body experience and so honestly paul like what started as this desperate attempt to go more than 24 hours of not drinking has turned into a life of actual full sobriety to this day no way and so you're on that current streak right now yeah, all because of that moment. That um, The catalyst was your father's brother who passed away before you died. He showed up in a dream and apparently your sobriety date is his birthday or, or right around that. that that's yeah. incredible, Jenny. Yeah. Wow. And, and I just want to comment earlier, you said it's important that we share your story. You are delivering this in spectacular fashion. We all own our stories on this podcast. We all deliver them with their own twist. But while you were talking, I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry to hear about your your child that passed away. And I understand the drinking ramped up big time with, with that's big T trauma right there. And thank you for your vulnerability, your authenticity, sharing your story on this podcast. The interview I did this morning, I said the best part about doing this is hearing other stories because I, I'm on the same the same journey, Jenny. And it gives me the strength and inspiration to to deepen with my decision. Like, yeah, alcohol, it's not for me. Alcohol, it, it, it's shit. Um, and this is how we recover. We share our stories. We talk face-to-face and other people hear of the successes. And I know a lot of people were listening when you said the thought of quitting drinking was too overwhelming. That it's like the exit off the universe is the most pliable option. It's just, it's sad with the most addictive drug on the planet. I, I think it's alcohol. All right, mm-hmm. so- you have this crazy experience where a deceased relative shows up and says, everything's going to be okay. It's time to get out of bed. It's time to get up. That gave you some sort of strength and encouragement. You got out of bed. What happens? 
Well, I mean, I, I cried every day. I mean, I was an absolute wreck, to be honest. Like I was a disaster because, you know, I was, I, I can't remember where I heard it once, but for sure, like I was feeling emotions that I had actually never experienced before because I had been burying them since I was 11 years old. Every feeling that I feel today of, I mean, I have reoccurring feelings still to this day of sobriety of like, people don't like me or you know, I, I always, I always have this feeling of like, people don't like me or I always feel lonely. And I just, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm always like the fear of like not getting invited to the birthday party. I don't know what my problem is, but it's a real thing. And so all these feelings that I had, I started feeling, and it was just like, Oh, it was just so much. And so, you know, I kind of, I was sober for the first 14 months, but I wasn't in recovery. So I wasn't drinking but I was still smoking weed at that very beginning of my recovery because I didn't even at that time think weed was a problem because I was like, dude, I've got, I've given up cocaine and ecstasy and mushrooms and, and ever you name it, I gave it up. I'm not even smoking cigs anymore. Like if I want to smoke a little bit of weed. So I kept, I kept justifying my addictions. If it wasn't something, it was something. And so 14 months into not drinking. So April of 2021, I was pregnant again and I had another miscarriage and my husband knew he was like, please, please. He's like you. And I'm sure you've heard this before too, but the opposite of addiction is connection. And I felt so lonely. And I was like, why am I the only person in this world who has to deal with this? And he was like, Jenny, you are not alone. Like there are so many people like you. And so he's like, just go to like an AA meeting or something. And so in April of 21, I I walked in and um, to this women's only meeting and they're my lifeline today. And I haven't looked back and I've gone to meetings every day since. And Jenny, you said the first 14 months you were not in recovery and, and then you went to an AA meeting. Can you explain to listeners what that means to be in recovery and not in recovery? Because I'm sure many are listening and are like, I'm sober, but am I in recovery? Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Oh, such a, it's such a deep question. I think it's the, alt, you know, that's what we strive for, right? Like it's, there are promises in life. You, you think about like when you're sober, you're just sober, right? Like you don't have, it's, it's just not to me. It was like, it was like, I was not dead. Cause I wasn't dead. I was alive, but in recovery, I'm doing the things that I love to do. I'm living my best life. I'm helping others. I'm acknowledging when I'm at fault of something, like I'm taking responsibility for my actions. I'm actually healing and addressing the trauma that I've been through versus just not using or drinking, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And the thing I like, I love what you said is I'm doing the things that I want to do that, that give you joy. There's autonomy in your life. There's not a loss of control. From 2010 to 2012, about two and a half years, I was sober, but I was not in recovery. This makes sense to me. And also listeners, I don't think it's healthy for the entire recovery world to put a definition as what recovery is and what's not, right? It's different for everybody. But I remember those first two and a half years, all I did was just not drink. And the pink cloud actually took me for a while. Life was so much better physically. I'd have been destroying my body for about 15 years with alcohol, ah, about 10 years, very hard. He's done a bar in Spain with alcohol, just quitting made me physically so much better. But after a while, I was like, I'm living life in the dentist chair. I'm super lonely. I don't have any sober friends. And I'm there's like, it's hard to make that connection with drinking friends, even though they're still good friends, still supportive of my decision to be sober. So I feel you after two and a half mm-hmm. years, that just like snap of a finger. I was drunk, drank all the alcohol in the house, was almost drinking hydrogen peroxide or rubbing alcohol. I was like, shit, what the hell happened here? 
I got to get back onto something. And eventually I found myself in recovery, which it's a nebulous term. Let's simplify it. It's recovering the person you're meant to be. That's Russell Brand's definition. It's recovering your authentic self. You're getting to know the little you. You're you're reuniting the parts of your personality, your soul, your unconscious, your conscious, uh, all of it. It's a wonderful journey. I think it's the most incredible journey anybody can embark upon. Okay. So what does your recovery look like today, Jenny? Well, every day is a victory. I just got to say that every day is a victory for me and I celebrate and I count, I count literally every day. You know, when they say, when you get sober or when you, or you go into recovery, everything changes and to change everything, you have to change everything. And so I, I think at first I, I had a really hard time letting go of that persona that I spoke about. Like I wanted to be that rebel. I wanted to kind of be that whatever that badass, I guess, but, but I, today, like I've slowly let go of that and I've gotten to really redefine who I am. I don't have to be who I was when I was a teenager. And frankly, I wouldn't even want to have a conversation with myself in my twenties, right? Like <laughs> I hope that I've evolved. I'm 36 going on 37. Like the girl's got to grow. Right. So, I mean, I'm telling you today, I wake up completely hangover free. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. I love mornings. I didn't know that I loved morning so much, but I'm today I'm a rock star at my job. And you know, I always have been, but now I'm I'm actually doing what I like to do versus just like going through the motions. I love exercising. I don't exercise because I have to lose weight. I exercise because I love moving my body. I love yoga. It's so healing for me. I I am committed to going to at least one meeting a week. So I listen to a ton of recovery podcasts, you know, Recovery Elevator and some other ones too. And I, I found this AA meeting group of women that are just they're so amazing. Every walk of life. I love them. And then I also do a, an online group called free spirits of, um, that was developed in Minneapolis. And it's, it's really cool because it's a supports young people who are sober. So I'm kind of like the oldest in the group. I kind of am like the matriarch. So, Hey girl. So I just, I don't know. I, I meditate, I do journaling, I do tarot and moon energy readings and I love it all. So life's good. I get to do what I want to do because I have time to do it. That's great. I love hearing your recovery portfolio, right? Everything that adds up to one thing, your recovery, the tarot cards, the the full moon ceremonies. I don't know how you said that. I believe in all that stuff. And I was a total atheist before quitting drinking. I, I could barely spell spirituality and, and not by choice. It's just how the journey has gone. I'm into all that stuff now. I love astrology. I had a moment looking at the stars a couple of years ago. It was in Costa Rica, beautiful night. And it was just like, something hit me. It was like, oh, it makes sense that, I can't explain this, but the way we are, when we are born deter, is determined by the position of the stars. It affects some outcome of our life. Then there's ancient cultures that knew this, where the pyramids were based off astronomy. Many of their, um, the way they lived life was based off astronomy and, and <laughs> the tarot cards. I, I love all that stuff. I do, yeah. I do, I do. It's so fun when we can be open to this recovery work, which to me is not really work anymore. Like this is my recovery work. I'm doing it right now with, with you, Jenny. We're, we're both- yeah. We're both doing it and I'm having a good yeah. time. Have you had in these last two years and in, in, in almost three years, any close calls? Um, obviously sounded that with your, with your second miscarriage, that sounded really intense, but have you had some intense cravings? How do you get past them? And uh, also what are your thoughts on relapse? Oh gosh. You know, I've, I've been close, but I, I'm, I'm close today. I mean, I'm you know what I mean? Like I am only one drink away from a relapse. And so for me, that's my non-negotiable, like no matter what for me, like I'm triggered often 
But for me, it's, it's, it's just, it's something that I'll know. I've gotten so far. I am in such uncharted territory. I am enjoying the life that I have that for me, it's just a non-negotiable. Like I will never do it. I can't think of a reason to go, to pick it back up. I just can't because I don't think I could put it back down personally, but relapse. I, I think every day is a victory, right? Like we, it's this constant feeling, you know, before February 16, 2020, like I was always moderating, right? Like I was always trying to control something about my use and picking up something else. And so I feel like there's no such thing as relapse because when you're in recovery, you're continuing to to build off of it. And as long as you're continuing to like learn from your mistakes and just give yourself some compassion and grace, like you may make it 10 days, you may make it a hundred days, but as long as you just keep getting back up or as my family member who basically rescued me from my bed, like it's okay, it's time to get up now. And so it's okay if you make a mistake, you're you're not perfect. That's what life is about. And so relapse is, there's there's no reason to give up because you've already gotten this far. Jenny, I actually think relapse is a shit word. Uh, in, in my book and at RE internally, we call it field research right? It's not a good word for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's like labeled as pure failure. Like all is done. Might as well pack it in the rest of your life. Number two, alcohol was the solution. It was a fantastic medicine. There's a reason during the pandemic where liquor stores were essential businesses. It was a medicine for a lot of people. So I think a relapse is we hit these really tough, these really tough, intense moments. And it's almost wired in our unconscious to go back to what worked to like go to a really good medicine. It's similar if like we have a cold, like ah, Robitussin worked really good five years ago. I'm going to try that again. So I don't like the word relapse, but I do like to question. And I use the word relapse just because listeners, mm-hmm. um, we, we all kind of know what that is. Uh, what's on your bucket list in recovery, Jenny? Oh my gosh. I w- okay. So perfect world. I'm going to go to every national park. <laughs> That'll be take me a while, um, but I'm going to do it. I don't know. I want to go to every continent. Like I want to travel. I've never even been able to think about like my husband and I were so broke for so long and that we are on the other side of that too. So even for me for recovery is being debt free and even being responsible with my money and not spending it like crazy. So my husband and I have been on a journey together. And so we get to like, I'm telling you, even just like buying blinds for my window. Like I've never been able to buy nice things like that for myself. So for me, it's again, it's, it's, it's continuing to like be better, help people truly buy things. I've never been able to buy, go to places I've never been able to go to and just, just live, be a good mom. That's my bucket list. Try to have a strong relationship with my son. And when he's ready, when he's older to help him know the story so that he can be the best version of himself too. Jenny, it sounds a lot of what you're saying as of late is just showing up in life, just being there, do the things you want to do to help other people out. And I also like how you said each day is a victory. The further I get away from alcohol, the more I'm realizing that we're all on the same day. It really doesn't matter when you quit drinking. Um, in fact, the science is there too. Einstein, one of his greatest discoveries was that time is kind of a, a finical thing. It doesn't exist. It's a figment of the imagination psychological clock time is different than actual. It's just weird, but we're all on the same day. And today, if you make it today without a drink or any moment, that's the victory. (laughs) When you were talking, an idea of a timer showed up for some reason. When I was drinking, I used to own an arcade business and I bought these timers that would turn the games on and off automatically. You like push some pegs down for the off time and I couldn't figure it out. And it was so stressful. And I remember drinking over it. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a timer for one of my pets, so I have a rep- reptiles for like the heat lamp to come on. 
and I was there was like this unconditioned stress just showing up like, oh, no, 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 no. But this is me showing up in life. I read the directions. I pushed the knobs down. I tested it. And afterward, it was like this huge victory. Like every day without, without alcohol is a victory, but there's so many small victories packed in there that we can do without drinking. Not really sure where the timer thing came from, but that prompted me because that one got me good in like 2013 <laughs> or, or 2012. Okay, I got I got one more question for you yeah. before we hit the rapid fire round. I know you said you don't even want to go back and talk with the younger self, but let's do it. What's the younger what's the conversation look like with the younger self, Jenny? I just want to hold my younger self and just hug her because she was in so much pain. Like she didn't know who she was. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be yourself. I just I feel like there's so many stages in my life that I could just say, like, you, you know, even just the idea of like, you don't have to drink and smoke to be cool. It was like, I was so desperate to be somebody and I didn't feel like, I feel like I was anyone. And so I just, I don't know. And just being like, it's, it's not as scary as you think. Here's what I think about related to that. What I would tell my, my young self would be that, you know, my whole life, I wanted to be that rebel and so I wanted to be different from everyone. I wanted to stand out. And I today do stand out. I am sober. And that is a path less traveled. And so I can still be that person that I've always wanted to be. It just looks a little bit different. And I was on this hamster wheel of just, I couldn't get off. I couldn't get off. And I I was always looking for the the, the grass is greener. And I was always looking for that better thing. And what I realized when I got sober was, it's not about like adding more and more and more to your life. It was actually about taking something away and that allowed me to live my true authentic self. And so, you know, simplifying your life is something that I would tell that my, my old self and just, just letting go of the expectations that you put on yourself, that it's okay to be different. Listeners, I don't ask that question to all the interviews on the podcast, advice to your younger self. But when I do, the response is always compassionate. There's always empathy. There's always a hug. There's always a high five. There's always a, hey, buddy, <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> and, and one thing I was thinking about a couple of months ago is right now, I am, you know, five years ago, five years from now, I am my younger self right now. So like, what would you say to yourself right now in this moment? It's the exact same thing. It's like, Paul, man, I love you. You're doing your best. It's really all we can do. Just keep showing up. Oh yeah, alcohol is shit. Like keep going down that path. Keep doing the recovery stuff. Hang with the troop. Hang with the tribe. Keep doing cafe RE. Keep doing RE. And uh, I'll see you on the other side, right? Um, I like that. Every time I ask that, it's this very compassionate. Hey buddy, I got your back. I love you. You're worth it. Okay, we have reached the rapid fire round, Jenny. <laughs> If you can answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's the one thing you've learned since quitting drinking? That I can still have a ton of fun without drinking. That life is not boring. I can sing and, and be witty and dance and have friends all without drinking. So, and I also learned that I love mornings. Mm -hmm. Best sober moment. Best sober moment. Um, just being a sober mom. I mean, just being there for my son and ending the family tree. Every branch in my family tree has problems and I ended that cycle and I get to be there for my son. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I love coffee, I love tea, I love anything bubbly. I love it all. Gotcha. Here's a light one. What's the point of life? <laughs> That's so hard actually, but uh, to be the best version of yourself, I think, so that you can help others to be the better version of themselves too. Yeah, I heard a couple of weeks ago on a PBS special that 
the rent you pay on this planet is helping other people. <laughs> I love it. What's your favorite 90s band or 80s band? Ween. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Some rock and roll with Ween. Yeah, that's what I would say. For sure. Okay. What has recovery made possible for you, Jenny? I don't know. Uh, gosh, what has it made? A life of just freedom, of time, of happiness, of joy, of resilience and perseverance. All right. If you had a pet parrot, what would you name it? A pet parrot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Patrick? I don't know. <laughs> What's your favorite type of pizza? Pizza? Yeah. I love I love everything. I love Supreme, like pile on the veggies. I'm all in. For sure. And last question, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking, Jenny? Just, honestly, if I, if I can do it, like you can too. You are not alone. You are not the only person struggling. There's so many people that want to help you that can help you recovery is possible and and you're worth living a life beyond the misery of addiction and if i can do it you can do it jenny before we depart give listeners your own you might need to ditch the booze if line let's see here you might need to ditch the booze if you switch to buying boxed wine because one bottle a night isn't enough yeah that uh that that classifies that works Listeners, I want to thank Jenny so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. You owned it. You delivered it. I know you helped at least one person, me, and I know you're going to help so many people out there listening right now to give them the strength and the courage needed to make this transition in life, or at least the courage to explore it. So thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. Listeners, I thought I had the ultimate, you might need to ditch the booze if line. I was at an AA meeting the other night and I heard a story where a guy in San Diego was too drunk to pass his car interlock system. So he caught a raccoon rummaging in a dumpster and then squeezed the air out of the raccoon to start his car. My oh my, I so wanted this to be true. But after some Googling this morning, I don't think it's true. However, there were several news outlets that picked this story up. It went viral, uh, but it is not true. Another part of this story was police were called to the scene uh, because a raccoon attacked a man while driving. Apparently, the raccoon passed out when all the air was squeezed out of him, came to life while he was driving, and scratched his face off. Again, I wish this was true, and if it was, I'd have to change my intro to say the worst place an alcoholic can be is when you squeeze the air out of a raccoon to pass your car's interlock system by far. Recovery Elevator, I love you guys. We can do this. Stopping it.